good morning. Um, late yesterday, Mark started to feel sick, and for the next 10 hours, his, what, we're not sure if it was food poisoning or just a bug that's going around, but wrecked havoc on him for 10 hours, and he is finally this morning, that has passed, but as you can imagine, he's drained and physically exhausted, so keep him in your prayers if you would. Last night, uh, we kind of had to scramble because, as you know, Pastor Mike's in Florida, Pastor Nate's on sabbatical, and Pastor Brian is at our Kenzie campus today. So we called Pastor Bob uh, Mahaffey, who is our district superintendent, to see if he was free today and wasn't speaking somewhere. And so he has graciously come to uh, speak to us today. Pastor Bob is in charge is uh, the district superintendent of our Southwest Ohio district, so he's in charge of the the Nazarene churches in that area, and we're grateful for him to be here. So let's open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what God has for us. Well, it is a privilege to be with you. I've loved the Xenia Church since I was in college. There was this little storm you had back in the early 70s, and I remember the students at Mount Vernon Nazarene College then got around uh, Kathy Beam and Becky Beam, and we started praying for you, hearing that the church was gone, kids had got, Kitty College had gotten in the basement and all of that stuff. And, and then, you know, I've always wanted to be as cool as the two Dennis boys. And so, uh, just, I love this church. I love the folks that I know from here. And so it's my privilege to be with you. I was scheduled to be at 9.30 in Fairfax Church and install their pastor, and then I was supposed to be at 1045 at the Chase Avenue Church. And uh, so this is, not, this is where I'm supposed to be according to God. My schedule kind of got left behind. It's kind of a fun thing. I was at a, a Christmas gift was given to us to go to Cirque Cincinnati Pops. Have any of you ever heard of that? It is the Cincinnati Symphony Pops, and they were playing show tunes, of course, none that I've ever heard. And, uh, and then at the same time, they had these like circus people, like uh, people that go up in drapes and spin around and almost fall, and a contortionist. And it was really a, two great soloists, songs from Les Mis and stuff like that. And we're just really enjoying it, thinking, man, this is different than anything I've seen. And I, at halftime, I mean uh, intermission, I, I went out. Um, by the way, um, I was on a date with my wife. I didn't see any of that football game. I would like to have, but, but the date was more important, guys. And it really was. So we went to a nice restaurant, went to the uh, Pops, and, and uh, at halftime, intermission, I, I uh, got out and had this phone call, so I answered it and found out that Pastor Mark was pretty sick. And I'm sure it's nothing that Sue fixed, but uh, <clears throat> so things started changing, and uh, then we confirmed it at 10.30 or something that I would be here. So I just need to, uh, disclaimer, uh, this isn't my preaching Bible. Uh, preachers have a preaching Bible where you have stuff underlined, and you know where it is on the page. So I might have trouble with where stuff is on the page. But uh, I do know a couple, couple scripture passages, so we'll be all right. Um, at any rate, can I pray with you before we start? Lord, we need you today. No matter how young we are or how mature we are, 
no matter what our task and job is in life, no matter where we are in our relationship with you, we need you. The most mature saint here needs you. And the one who's walking new steps in the way needs you. And so this isn't about me. This is about you. I really believe your word is powerful. I believe it is not my job to convict people of anything, but that the Holy Spirit is the best. And so I just faithfully want to point to you. Would you do whatever needs done in each one of us? We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're going to be working in uh, Luke chapter 6. And at some point on the screen, you know, we didn't get to work any of this out. Uh, you will see about 10 verses show up from Luke 6. But what I really want to do with you today is I want to work with you. I want to work in Scripture. I want to, it's, it's not really like teaching, but I, I want to look at this passage compared to some other passages. And, and I want to say, I want to see what does God want to say to us? So um, many of you know this passage as the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I want to disagree. I think it's the Sermon on the Plain. Now, my reason is here in Luke 6, it says, so he went with them down to a level place. And I've been privileged to go to the Holy Land. That doesn't make me anything special. But um, if, you're, if, you're at, if you're at Capernaum, which is Jesus' headquarters, uh, you're just maybe, maybe 100 or 200 feet above sea level. And the big mountain is Mount Hermon. And it's at 11,200, 400 feet, something like that. And um, Jesus, in the mornings, would uh, go to a place to pray. It says at the end of chapter 4 that he would go to a solitary place. And I'm not here to impress you, but that grabs me. He went to an, in, in Greek, it is Eremos. Might want to remember that. Eremos is a solitary place. It is a place that Jesus went to be with his Father God. And I guess I want to just start by saying you need a place like that. You need a place that, that when you get there, you know why you're there. And you don't have your date book and stuff to push you out, but you say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm waiting on you. Uh, the story for me is uh, several years ago, probably 15 years ago, I, I did a funeral at the Westchester Church for a dear friend, and the family gave me too much money. And so I tried to give it back to them. And, um, and they said, no, buy a prayer chair. Well, I went down to the furniture store, and I couldn't find any chair that was, where are your prayer chairs? <laughs> and there wasn't such a thing. So um, you understand, it's, it's just a special chair. Uh, mine, because I have such a love for missions, it's uh, black, and it's got elephants and giraffes on it. Doesn't really fit the motif of the house, but... Um, it's my prayer chair. It's where I go to get away with God. Some of you, I was with a guy Friday. He has a, in his barn, he took a corner of it and finished it, and that's his Eremos. Uh, you may have a spare bedroom or an office or a closet maybe, but uh, we all need an Eremos because if you don't, the world will push you and you'll miss him. We really need to be with the Lord every day. 
And we need to get rid of all of the voices and schedules in our minds to where we can hear him speak to us. And so uh, Jesus, it's, it's the only time that's recorded, spent all night in prayer. And I, I've really tried to study this. The reason he did that was because he had a multitude of people following, as Scripture says. But he was asking God, who are the people that I need to disciple? I know that's a church word, but it's a great word. Who are the people I need to pour my life into? Who are the people that I need to help have the purpose that they would be just like Jesus? And I hope you have some people like that. For sure your kids, uh, for sure your grandkids, but maybe there are some other people. For me, there's a guy named Jim. About 10 years ago, I was privileged to help, help him find Christ. And we try to eat lunch every Friday. We, don't, we miss some, but I was with him Friday. And, and uh, for 10 years, we've been walking the journey together. And, and I love Jim. I, and I, I really, really want to be with him because uh, he didn't, he'd never been to church before. Um, my phone number, he dialed by accident. He was calling his cocaine dealer and got me. And my phone number is one digit different than some cocaine dealer. I've never called. <laughs> but uh, that's how he got me. And, um, and he said, and I just said, hey, this is Pastor Bob, can I help? And, he said, Pastor Bob? And I said, yeah. I didn't know who he was. His name wasn't in my dial contacts. And, and uh, I said, hey, um, how's your life? And this is speeded up version. He said, I'm one inch from dead. I said, what do you mean one inch from dead? That sounds really bad. And he said, well, I've been addicted to cocaine since I was age 16. At that point, he was 46. He said, um, I sell packaging goods for a company I drive. And he said, I have six DUIs, and yet I keep driving. If I get picked up, I go straight to jail. No $200, no pass go. It's for the old people here. <laughs> um, and so Jim was rough. Jim was, he's actually a rock singer on the side. Um, I went to one of his concerts. And um, I walked in, and he stopped the band, and he said, Pastor Bob's in the house from Westchester Nazarene. And I went, oh, dear, there went my credentials. <laughs> and the mayor of Fairfield, Ohio, and the fire chief came up to me and said, we've wondered what Jim's pastor would be like. <laughs> it's, it's been a fun journey. Um, so who are you going to disciple? Jesus was saying, God, these people are all following me, but I really need to get a few of them, 12, and, and really pour my life into them. And, and so we, we find here that he's now grabbed by his followers, and they say, what are you doing? And he said, I, I've, I've got to be about my father. I've got to preach. And so then they, it says right here, they went down to a level place. Um, we believe his Eremos is a cave, you won't find this in a textbook, but you would find it in the guides of the Holy Land because um, I walked with my guide who was a Old Testament professor and we walked up to this place and there's a cave. I mean, it's not a deep cave. It, it's just kind of a recess. It's kind of got a rock that comes out, would shelter you from the rain. It's big enough for a gospel quartet. Some of you might like to know that. And uh, it's not tall enough for me. So I had to be like this. 
Somebody put a rock in there so you can sit on the rock, and they believe that's where Jesus went to be alone with God. So they come and get him out of Capernaum, and they take him to a level place, and there are probably thousands of people there, and he starts teaching them. So I really think it's the Sermon on this level place plain, the Sermon on the Plain and not the Sermon on the Mount. If you're in Capernaum and you're looking at him, you, you see Mount Hermon behind him, so <clears throat> who knows, but that's just me. I try to dig in and kind of get this stuff so it becomes real to me. The other thing I, I found is if you looked at Matthew's Gospel, you can do that this afternoon during your nap, and... Um, in Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Plain is five, chapter 5, 6, and 7, but I thought I didn't have time to do that whole three-chapter thing, so I came to Luke's because it's just a part of the sixth chapter. Uh, Mark, we know where the Sermon on the Plain should be because it's right after he introduces his disciples, but Mark forgot and left it out. I don't know why, but uh, it's, it's just not there. So this is the Sermon on the Plain. And I'm sure much better preachers than I have preached on this sermon for months, if not a year. But today, I've only got three points. Isn't that a good sermon? So there are just going to be three, and they're really simple points. And I'm, I'm not saying that any of you are guilty of any of these things, but if God says so, pay attention. Uh, because he not only sends uh, snowstorms, he sends lightning and thunder and preachers to get you. I'm not one of those, Sue and Mark didn't say, we really want you to preach at this person. It didn't, didn't happen. So here we are. Um, you know, it begins with the Beatitudes. That, that's a real challenging group of, of uh, text because it, it, it's the opposite of our world. Uh, blessed are the meek. Blessed are peacemakers. Our world's all about throwing stones at other people verbally. Blessed are the pure in heart. And a lot of people think we can't be pure in heart. We do in the Church of the Nazarene, by the way. God doesn't make you perfect. You might still miss a free throw or get a 99 on a test, but he makes your heart perfect. And so even though your performance night might not always stack up, your heart can always be perfect because the Holy Spirit comes in and he cleanses us and he infills us. And if we're in the airmost place with him, he constantly keeps checking us to make sure our heart's perfect, which then affects everything about us. So he goes through these Beatitudes and he begins, and I think this is where it's going to be up on the screen. And he begins with this passage in verse 27 of chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Is that easy for you? I mean, a lot of you probably don't have any enemies. Uh, I've had an enemy or five in my life. And uh, it's not easy to love your enemies. This week, I was just driving down the road, and this happens all the time. And uh, someone thought they had enough time and space to get out in front of me. And my car um, has this emergency braking system, and the person was so close to in front of me that that emergency braking system came into action, and my car started going and stopped me. And honestly, I wasn't very happy. I wanted to kind of mash the gas pedal. 
I wanted to get right up by this guy and give him the Jesus symbol. <laughs> One way. Our world speaks a different language with a different finger. But we should point people to Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit helped me and I didn't go after him. I got over it a couple days later. <laughs> but I have to say, did, when that happened, did I really love that guy? Told you I had a hot date last night with my wife. So we, we go into a nice restaurant. I was very gentlemanly and I opened the door for the people behind me. And they went in and they went directly to the reservationist and got their table before me. Does that bother you? I was nice, and you cut me off. Well, I didn't give them the Jesus symbol either. Aren't you proud of me? And, uh, but I just thought, well, they're kind of crude. Is that an okay word, crude? Um, stuff like this happens, doesn't it? Um, little history, painful history. I was a pastor for 32 years, and... Um, there was a point back in the early 2000s at the church I was serving, and we had a horrible problem. And uh, we lost 150 people. Our income dropped $150,000. And a lot of people blamed me. I'm not saying I was right and they were wrong. I'm just saying it was a horrible problem. Uh, we had a re re conflict resolution person came and that person said, I needed to sit in a Sunday school room for four hours a night and people could sign up for 45-minute appointments to unload, to process their anger. And I wasn't allowed to say a word. And I had two board members with me and they could only speak if they knew something that was said was not true. And they did. So 45 minutes appointments, I think that's about three or four a night for 10 days. I would go home and I would sit in the recliner and I would cry till two or three o'clock in the morning. I was devastated. The church was losing people. The church was losing money. We could not get one bit of momentum and I'm doing my best to trust the Lord. And I, I offered to resign. Uh, the board didn't want me to. Thank you. But um, I'll never forget. It was just a, in the middle of that, uh, right next to the Westchester Church, there's a, I try not to advertise, but there's a Coles. And uh, um, we did babysitting for Coles. People would bring their kids to church on Wednesday night and go over and shop at Coles truth. And um, so I'm, I'm in this department store and I saw one of these couples that had screamed at me for 45 minutes. I mean screamed for 45 minutes. And uh, I'm a hugger before COVID. And so I went up to them and I gave a safe sideways hug. And I really do love them. I, I, I knew they were mad. I really do love them. And, and the person just kind of rolled out of my hug and walked away and looked back like, you've got cooties. And you know, I hate that. 
I hate that doing my best to be a good pastor and a Christian that people get mad at you. And it's really tough when you try to love somebody and, and they act that way. Loving your enemies is hard stuff. If you ever have an enemy, love them. On Friday, one of the parts of my day was a person wanted to meet me at 3 o'clock. Didn't know why. And I met this person at a restaurant. And the person began to tell me what had happened in their church and how mad they were at their pastor. And it was just kind of like my twitches came back. And uh, they said, well, what should I do? I said, you need to love your pastor. Why don't you, once a month, set up an appointment to take your pastor to lunch? You don't have to talk about the problems, but you do need to love your pastor. If you've got an enemy, take him to lunch. Not to tell him you're right and they're wrong, but to love him. It's not the way the world behaves. But Scripture says, love your enemies. That's a big first point. Here's the second one. It's, it's down at the end of this passage. It's in verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. And maybe I'm preaching to myself. Do any of you have a problem with judging people? You look at someone and they look a lot different than you. In my case, it's good if they look different from me. But if they're, if they're just kind of different, you, you kind of think, ew, what's wrong with you? Or, or, you know, you just, someone behaves in a certain way and, and you want to go, yuck. And you know what? I'm not supposed to judge that person. I need to understand that there's something going on in their life that causes them to be this way. I need to love this person. That's not easy either. That's kind of like a step back from, from loving your enemy. But man, I, I think it's something that most of us do. How subtle can this be? Okay. There's one gas station on our district that always has cheaper gas than the rest. So if I'm ever close, I'm frugal, I go to that gas station. The bad news is they play really crummy music that I don't like, and they play it really, really loud. And so I just kind of have this judgment that the people that live in that area must be whatever. So, you know, when I pull in there to get gas, I need to be kind to whoever I encounter. I need to not judge these people. I need to love these people. Now, maybe, this, maybe I'm just missing you, but loving enemies and not judging is not our culture. Our culture is all about arguing with people. Our culture is all about judging people, whether they like a different team or whether they have a different political persuasion. I'm not happy with a lot going on, but I've kind of figured out that praying for the elected officials does more good than me complaining about them. Just, I think it's scriptural. Okay, so you ready for the third? Man, it's, it's early. I'll tell a couple more stories to catch up on the time. Okay, I'll go back a little bit to the beginning. Matthew's gospel. At the end of chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, 
who is a Jewish gentleman, his big punch to the sermon is this, be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. You've heard that text. Do you know people talk to me about that all the time? I was in a board meeting Monday night and one of the guys in the church said, this, the church of the Nazarene believes in entire sanctification. We can't be perfect. And I said, I understand that we will not be humanly perfect. I understand that we will not always get the right answer. Or I, I understand that. But hu- this, this is talking about a heart perfection. This is that the Holy Spirit can do something in you. He can cleanse you of that hateful attitude and spirit. He can cleanse you to where your heart is right. And you know, everything comes out of your heart. But I think being a Jewish guy, Matthew was really big on be perfect. You know, I'm not, I'm not cutting Jewish people. They're wonderful people. But you know, they take the Ten Commandments and they made them into 613. True. Did you know you can't tie up your donkey on the Sabbath? That's one. Of, so they're into perfection. Let's identify perfection and let's do it perfectly. Be perfect. And people these days, this is another part of our culture. We are a performance-based culture. You know, you, you do something wrong and you think, Ugh, wow, that's really bad. I blew it. No. Have a great heart and do your best. And hey, I might have said today that Moses created the world and you're going out thinking, that guy's nutso. But I'm doing my best. God gets it. The praise. So we're not talking about a human perfection that I do everything exactly right. We're talking about a heart perfection, but our world doesn't get that. I can't, this man sitting right over here, he said, I I can't be perfect. I'll never be perfect. And and I wanted to think about texts that say, well, buddy, you probably won't be in heaven. But I didn't because I'm not judging and being evil, you know, but um, yeah, you need to be perfect. Scripture says so. Without holiness, no one will see God. We should have a perfect heart. But Matthew comes at it with this, be ye perfect, and I, I think the people were having trouble with that. If you look at Luke's gospel, here's the big whammy. Luke doesn't say be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Luke says be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. Okay, little Hebrew lesson here. I don't speak Hebrew. I just studied this part. The word for mercy is chesed. Now, I'm not going to ask you to say that because of COVID and you would spit on the person in front of you. in, in um, newer translations, sometimes they take out the C and they just say it's H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. So you can say that without spitting. But Old Testament, it is chesed. And so what Luke is saying is be chesed as your Father in heaven is chesed. Be merciful. You know what that means? It means that no matter what someone else does, don't judge them, don't be evil and mean to them, love them, because you know what God did? 
while we were yet sinners, while we were, new translation, still ugly, some of us can't help it, Christ died for us. That's chesed. The definition is a never-ending, never-failing love. That's what God wants us to have. Uh, we may blow it sometimes. We may make a mistake sometimes. We may even at sometimes let that selfishness start to creep back in. And as soon as we do, we need to say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be chesed as you are chesed. I want to be merciful. I don't want my selfishness. I don't want what is best for me to be in my way. I want what is best for God to be in the way. So at the end of this whole passage, it says, be ye merciful. I want to tell you today that the greatest thing you need to be at peace with is that your attitude, that your life and your lifestyle is a merciful one. I, I said to this guy Friday, you know, when I was, he was talking about being upset with his pastor, and one of the, one of the statements that came to me, I, I heard it a long time ago, is this. I've never been sorry for something I didn't say, but I have been sorry for things I did say. You get that? Sometimes our mouth gets ahead of our brain and our heart and we say wrong things. And so this merciful means that the mercy of God, the love of God precedes my quickness, my humanity. And so what does God want out of this Sermon on the Plain or Mount? That we would be merciful like he is. That we would have this heart that is always for others. That we wouldn't hate our enemies. That we would love them. That we wouldn't be judgmental no matter how different someone is. But that we would love them. Um, it was my privilege Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to keep two of my 11 grandkids. Now, when you've had, not had people living in your house besides you and your wife for a while, to put three little, two little kids in your house makes a difference. I'm, I'm kind of a neat freak, you know, and when I eat my cereal, I eat it right over the bowl so I don't spill it on the floor. They liked popcorn, so I started finding popcorn kernels on the floor. And on the placemat around the plate was milk and their bed they didn't make their bed and you should see the bathroom mirror it's splattered and they didn't hang their towels up really nice and neat get it do I love my grandkids you bet you'd be proud of me I didn't say one thing about the popcorn kernels or the milk on their placemat or the messed up mirror or their unfolded towels or their unmade bed because I love them. I love them. You know what? The way you feel about your grandkids or your kids is the way God wants you to feel about everyone in his world not easy unless he changes your heart so at the end of Matthew's gospel 
it says that he taught as one with authority. So the people believed him. Remember, they were Jewish. And they have rabbis. And rabbis teach properly. And people wanted to be like a rabbi. So Jesus was like a rabbi. He taught with authority. So the people listened. Do you want to know what it says at the beginning of Luke's gospel? It said that crowds, multitudes were around him. And they were wanting to touch him because healing was coming out of him. And people with evil spirits were cured. And people with sickness and disease were cured. It says everyone wanted to touch him because every person was being healed. Wow. And again, it's great for us to pray for physical healings. I get it. It's right. But sometimes we care more about physical healings than we do heart healings. And as people of Jesus Christ, the heart being healed is the most important thing. And that's why Luke's gospel says, be merciful. Have the heart of God. React to others. Have an attitude that reflects the heart of God. This morning, I guess I just want to ask you, how are you doing loving your enemies? How are you doing judging people? And then lastly, how's your heart? Does that describe you, the heart of God in you? The heart that no matter what somebody else does, did you know that you will always get hurt by somebody? But the heart of God helps us to love enemies and not judge people. It helps us to be merciful as he is. Never ending, never failing. Love of God. Lord, it's a simple passage, but it's hard to live. Because when someone cuts us off, or when someone gets in front of us, or when someone seems to get preferential treatment, or when I don't get my way, our tendency is not to be a never-ending, never-failing love. Lord, speak to our hearts today to make sure that our hearts are hearts of mercy. Your heart. And if we're falling short in those places, would you, would you prompt us to ask for forgiveness for anything wrong and ask you to do a healing work in our heart? We've heard your word. And I pray that it will work in us. So we love and praise you and trust you to help us be like Jesus. This I pray in your beautiful name. Amen. You close your services in communion, so I'm going to ask those who want to come and help distribute or allow for. Some of you got it out in the hallway. Some of you might want to come to the altar and take one of these. And so while we do this, I want to use one more 
word picture for you. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that Jerusalem is up on a hill. And, and you would know then that you have to go down the hill to the Temple Mount, and then you go on down the hill, and there is a brook. It's the Kidron Brook, K-I-D-R-O-N. And that Kidron Brook, if you came to it probably today, you could just jump over it. It, it might be two or three feet wide, and you could jump over that muddy little water brick brook. But I want to tell you something. When the Passover happened, it was different. You see, at Passover, about a quarter of a million people would come to Jerusalem. I'll bet you can relate to this. I've heard the population, the population of Gatlinburg is 4,000 people. Have you ever been there when there were a couple hundred thousand people? Well, that's what Passover was like. And you've probably read in Scripture that people sacrificed before they took the Passover. And so people would bring pigeons, doves, lambs, probably any kind of animal, and they would bring them to the temple and they would be sacrificed there. They would be cut so that the blood could come out. Historians probably tell us that there were probably drains that they placed on the altars. So when they opened the carcass of the whatever animal it was, the blood would drain into those gutters. And they would go out the side of the temple, down the side of Jerusalem, and after the Last Supper, where Jesus instituted this, he left and went down across the Kidron Brook, Scripture says, to the garden. It is estimated that the day that he walked with his disciples across the Kidron Brook, it wasn't two or three feet wide of muddy water, but it was probably up to his waist with blood. Can you imagine that picture coming to that Kidron Brook and wading through it and understand that that blood was the symbol for those people for atonement for their sins? We don't believe that no matter how many animals you sacrifice, that doesn't do anything for your sins. But we do believe the blood of Jesus Christ is the only atonement for man's sin. So these things that we hold are, are just symbols. Have people all been served or have they waited for me to tell the story? Would you come and receive?